You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. Jesus doesn't want to just point out the hypocrisy. He wants you to drop the mask. He wants you to dress the mask, but then he wants you to move on from that mistake. How does he do it? By love. His love covers it. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. We are in week two of our series, What Would Jesus Undo? In the 90s, there was a really popular slogan. Maybe you read about it, you heard about it, or maybe you participated in it. And a lot of people would wear a T-shirt, and the T-shirt would say, what would Jesus do? Or they had the wristband, what would Jesus do? Or maybe you've got a tattoo of WWJD. And uh, it was kind of a little movement back in the 90s. And that kind of took off. And really, this movement, what it was all about was the fact that they were trying to get you to, uh, before you thought something, said something, did something, that you just take a minute and pause and you would think, what would Jesus do? And that's kind of where we've gotten this series idea from, but we've kind of flipped it on its head and we're looking at what would Jesus undo? I mean, there's some things in life that you and I look at and we're like, I think Jesus would do that differently. And that's exactly what we've been looking at. And last week we started looking at how people are confused about commitment these days. I mean, people are confused about commitment. And last week we looked at what did Jesus say about commitment? Because we know how Jesus says, hey, come unto me, all you who are weary, you're heavy laden with burdens and you're tired, I'll give you rest. But he didn't just say that. He also said, hey, come after me, meaning to follow me. And we talked about discipleship. And discipleship's a different word. We don't use it a lot today. And uh, really what it means is a follower of Jesus, somebody that just followed Jesus. And so last week we talked about what is discipleship? What does it mean? And we looked at some challenging verses. And so uh, this week we're going to continue kind of in that same vein, kind of that same line. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23 this morning, Matthew 23. But as we turned there this past weekend, uh, my wife told me a little while ago, she was like, hey, it's my dad's 65th birthday on Saturday. Saturday, yesterday, and she's like, you're going. And I was like, I don't know if I need to go for a birthday party to fly there and then turn around a day later and come right back. It's just a party. She said, no, you don't understand it. Uh, my dad's never had a birthday party. I was like, well, that's a different story, okay? We got to make sure he has a great 65th birthday party. And I was thinking, hey, happy wife, happy life, let's go. So Friday morning, we got up early. And you know how fun it is to go through TSA with all your kids, with the stroller, with the pack and play with a car seat, with all your stuff. And you know how awesome TSA agents are at 6 a.m. in the morning. And so I just couldn't wait to get there. And uh, if there's any TSA agents, I love you guys. You're awesome. Yeah. No, but uh, there's this great thing that we invested in. And I don't know if you've heard about it. TSA PreCheck. Let me see. How many know about TSA PreCheck? Come on. That is like the best thing ever. If you do not have TSA pre-check, you need to get up and go right now and go get it. All right. It's just, it's that good. All right. Because we got up to where the TSA line is and you know how it's super long. And then it's so fun to just walk past everybody. You know what I mean? As they're in that line, you know, just like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. What now? You know, and uh, just kind of walking by them and you get to go right through. You don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to get strip searched. You don't have to do none of those little cat 
cavity searches that they do get violated and everything. None of that. It's like you're a normal human being again at the airport and you don't have to take your laptop out of the bag. You know, you don't have to do any of that. You just kind of go through, you put your laptop down, they scan it. It's like pre 9-11, right? You just kind of go through. Now, here's the way it works in our family. I don't know if it's similar for you. So, being the, the dad with all the stuff, you know, and uh, so my wife gives me everything to carry, you know, because you got the stroller, you know, you got all this extra diaper bag. So basically, whenever you see a dad at the airport with his family, you can't really see him. It's just you see walking luggage. That's all you see is luggage is moving. There's a dad under all that, okay? And so that's me at the airport. And then I got my three little ones in front of me. So I'm bringing up the rear, make sure we don't lose any or in case we don't gain any. You know how parents are. They're like, please just get in that line. Just go to that family. You know, just go, go, go. <laughs> you know. And uh, then Jane, she's got the tickets and she's in front. And so we start going through the TSA line and we got TSA pre-check. So she, you just got the app on the phone. They just show the tickets and she just walks on through. Now, in case you don't know me, I am white. My wife is not. My wife is Filipino. My kids are a mix. Okay. They're a mix. And so I've got all this stuff and my wife goes first and then she goes TSA agent lets Megan go, lets Austin go, lets Kane go, and then he goes like this when it comes to me. I was like, hey, yo, I'm with them. He was like, where's your ticket? I was like, she has it, that woman right there. Here's the thing about my wife. I love her, but she has messed up games she likes to play sometimes. And at TSA, it's not a place you play messed up games with people. Those people take it serious. And she's like, sir, I don't know who that guy is. He's been following me to the airport. Please call security. I was like, don't even play like that. You know, I was like, I'm with her, you know. And I was like, racial profiling, it, it happened, okay. So uh, the guy finally let me through. And we were spending time with my Filipino side of my family. We had a great time. And it's always fun. It's always fun because uh, my wife's side of the family brings out all the pictures because it was kind of a good, big get together. So all the family's there and it's really neat because they'll look at my children and you know, there's Megan and Megan looks the most like her mom, right? And then they're progressively getting a little bit lighter. It's like my jeans are finally kicking in or something. I don't know. And uh, so now, I mean, when I'm with Megan, it's like, uh, I kind of get an Amber alert. Like, you know, like, Hey, somebody kidnapped a kid over here. Right. But now when I'm with Kane, it's okay. It's a little bit better. All right. And uh, so he just got a great built-in tan, you know. And so we're there. And whenever I'm around my wife's family, they're like, oh, man, you got to look at this picture because Megan looks just like her mom at that age. Or, hey, look at Austin, what he's doing right here. Oh, it looks so much like his Lolo over here, you know. And she just start going through the family pictures. And then they start talking about, oh, that smile. Look, that's where they got it from. All those cheekbones, that's where they got it from. And, you know, they just kind of go through. And it's so fun because you're seeing the family resemblance. You know, it's interesting. When's the last time somebody looked at you and said, you look like your dad? Because the church, Christians, people that say we believe Jesus and we follow Jesus, we should reflect our father and the words that we say, the actions that we do, and the things that we, we are involved in. So when's the last time somebody looked at you and was like, you got to be a Christian. I mean, come on. You were waiting at that uh, restaurant for all that time. The waitress or the waiter brought out that cold, nasty old stale food and you still tip them. That's amazing. You've got to be a Christian. You've got to be a good person. You know, they just kind of look at you and you got accused of looking like your father. You, you helped somebody or you did something at, at your job or, or in the neighborhood and you were helping out. When's the last time you got accused of being a Jesus follower? Of looking like your dad, your heavenly father. And if it's been a while, maybe we should step back and ask why. 
Because we should look like our family. We should reflect them. This morning, I want to dive into a thought because too often we have three types of people that come to church. There are those who are intrigued about Jesus and the things of Jesus. You're intrigued. Then there are those, you're invested, man, you're in. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with this. This is, this is what I want. I'm a part of this. Come to church, read your Bible prayer. That's like a habit for you now. You just do it. You don't have to think about it. It's just instinct, automatic. And then you've got the indifferent, the indifferent. They're just kind of like, nah, whatever. I don't really care. I'm just, I'm just here. You know, I'm just, just checking the box. You know, got to get my good works. I'll weigh my bad works. And this weekend I partied hard. So I've got better, got to be in church. You know, I got to, I got to work that off a little bit, you know, or, uh, you know, you're just like, you know what? It doesn't really matter what people think of me. I, I don't really care. I'm, I'm indifferent. My greatest concern, especially because I get to lead a community, a Christian community, is the fact that too often those who are intrigued of the church are turned off by the church, not because of the people that are involved, but because of the people that are indifferent. I mean, come on, how many times you've been driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, then they honk at you, and then as they drive by, they kind of uh, tell you to read between the lines, peel the banana, point you to Jesus. I mean, you know, and then as they pass you, you see such and such church bumper sticker on their car. You're like, I have a good mind to call their pastor and be like, bro, you stink at your job. I mean, I'm just watching your people. They're terrible. They're mean, man. They're terrible drivers, you know? And uh, it's just one of those where, where sometimes we're not a great reflection of our father. And we've seen those people that you're just like, oh, man, I wish you wouldn't say that you're a Christian. Maybe you've gone to a uh, sporting event concert, and as you're walking on into the concert, and maybe you were at Christmas in the Park, you saw somebody standing on a milk cart, and then they had a big old sign, and then they had a bullhorn, and everybody that walks by, they blow up their eardrums as they yell at them in their ear that they're a sinner going to hell. And you've seen that person, and you're almost like, ooh, ooh, I, mm, I wish you wouldn't do that, because that is not a great representation of what Jesus and Christians were, and then they're, they're, they're just ripping on everybody and just tearing everybody down. You see, today we do have a problem in the church, and it doesn't have to do with those people that don't call themselves Christians. Like, for once, let's just step back, and let's not worry about anything around us. Let's just say, you know, there's too many people that call themselves Jesus followers who say one thing and do another. I'm guilty of it. You say, what do you mean? Here's the way I do it. People all the time come to me, they're, they're, they hear I'm a pastor, and it doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm in a doctor's office, I could be uh, on an airplane, I could be uh, just in, through the mall, and then people will ask me all the time, hey, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And then they get quiet, you know, it's really funny. I'm like, why? And then they, they kind of like scoot over, like I got a disease or something. I'm like, for real, man? Like, really? Or they're like, oh, can you pray for me? And I always am like, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. You know what I forget to do all the time? Pray for them. People will text me, oh, pastor, pray for me. Hey, think of me, pray for me. And you know what I always fire back? Praying, hand emoticon. That means I prayed right there. You see, and if you see triple hand emoticon, oh, dude, it's done. You're good. Whatever you want, lottery, you know, new wife, new husband is done. The more hands, the better the prayer was, right? No, no, that's a lie. All preachers are liars, right? But I'm guilty of that. And that's just a little one. That's just a little one. There's, there's ones that are far greater. 
I remember when I first told the church that I was kind of interning at, I was, I was learning to be a pastor. I was there for almost seven years. I remember when I was going to go off, you know, and uh, start a church as a pastor. He kind of took me aside and he was like, all right, Micaiah, here's something you need to know. Now that you can be a pastor, you kind of got to look like a pastor. You got to dress like a pastor. You got to act like a pastor. And I was like, bro, I look like I'm 13 years old. Nobody didn't believe me. I was like, I just walked into the hospital. I mean, if I wear a suit, it's only worse. It's only worse, all right? So it's just, it's, it's, not, it's not happening. I was like, plus, this is like a built-in time machine. I was like, when I'm 90, oh, it's going to be on, you know? Finally, you know, I won't get carded when I buy cough syrup, you know? I was like, it is going to be good, you know? But he talked about, hey, in ministry, you need to have this mystique. There needs to be something untouchable about you. And I was like, wait a minute. That, to me, sounds like a double standard. It sounds to me like you think because you're a pastor, you're up here when, when that's not how Jesus looks at it. And sometimes we as Christians, we can kind of put ourselves up on a pedestal around other people. And can I tell you what's happening today is today there are those that they are intrigued by the gospel. They are intrigued by church. They're interested in what the Bible has to say. But the thing that's keeping them out is not what Jesus said, but what we say and what we don't do. It's not because they're against the church. It's because they see the church saying one thing and living another way. It's because we say something with our lips, but then our lifestyle doesn't back it up. We're all talk and no walk. We talk about helping people. We talk about serving people. We talk about uh, being there for others. And then we're not there. We even say, hey, I'm going to sign up and be a part of a ministry. And we don't show up and we don't even tell the person above us like, hey, I'm not going to be there to serve. But it just feels good to let people know like, oh, yeah, yeah, I serve. I once worked in a town in Boron, California. Anybody know where Boron, California is? Okay, we get borax from there. Tiny little town, okay, just a couple of hundred people. We had the biggest church in town. You say, how big was it? A hundred people. All right, it's the biggest church in town. And so I would meet people all the time. It's a tiny little town. I was involved with the football team. I was involved with the, uh, the uh, Christian club. I was just... Uh, totally involved in the town. So I would invite people to church and then they would tell me because they didn't know I worked at the church. They'd be like, oh yeah, I go to that Boron church. And I was like, oh really? Are you there all the time? They're like, oh yeah. I'm, me and the pastor are like this. I was like, really? No way. That's so cool that you go there. Uh, and then you just know they're lying because you're like, I'm the pastor there and I've never seen you in my life ever. You definitely going to hell. Like right now, like no prayer emoticon hands for you, man. Like it's just game over, you know? And it's just, you see people and they just do that. And it's so hard. Why? Because we say one thing, we do another. And we're not even here to talk about anybody that doesn't claim to be a Christian. Let's just deal with our group. Can we just have a family meeting and just say, hey, let's just deal with us? Like, what if Christians just got their act together? Like, what if we just kind of straightened up a little bit? What if we just finally did what we said we do? I think we would actually change the world. I said it last week and I'll say it again. One day a person will come along who will read the Bible, read what Jesus said, actually believe it, do it, and then change the world. It only takes one person, one woman, one man, one kid, a teenager. It's happened before. That's why we like characters like David. It's like, like, we like Joseph. We like Daniel. They were just kids. And they ended up changing a generation of their time. Why? Because they just said, you know what? God says it. Here's my old school root. God says it. That settles it. You know what I mean? But yet we in the church, we have a hard time. We struggle with this. We look at what God says and we think it's a joke. And Jesus has some strong words to say. Matthew 23, let me read just a few verses. 
Here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. You say, what is the law of Moses? The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch. So these are the religious people. They, the, back then, they didn't have the whole Bible. They just had a few books of the Bible, the first few books. And so they were the keepers of the law, and they told everybody else what the Bible said. Verse number three, Jesus said this. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. What? Jesus, I'm confused, Jesus. He goes on. For they don't practice what they teach. Wow. They say one thing and do another. Verse four. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease their burden. Here's the harshest critique of all. Everything they do is a show. Oh my goodness. Jesus is talking about the religious leaders. He's saying everything they do is just a show. It's all for show. It's not real. Kind of reminds me of our social media culture that we have today, doesn't it? My wife, she joined a new gym. She, her other gym that uh, wasn't giving her a, a great rate, and there's a new gym by her house. And uh, she came in one morning. I go later on in the morning. She goes super early, and uh, she goes like seriously 4, 30, 5 o'clock in the morning, okay, so when she goes. And uh, she's like, yeah, I just, I'm lifting weights, and I'm meeting with God. And I'm like, oh, God is up at that time? I don't I, I would check that. I don't know if he is. I would double check that, you know? And uh, so she goes to the gym super early and she was like, it's hilarious. She's like, there are so many people just sitting on the equipment taking pictures. That's all they do. They're there for an hour and a half taking pictures. And then she's like, it's ridiculous. And so it's frustrating because why? They're just there and it's just for show, right? It's just show. How many times is it just in our life just for show? We talked about how the cross is not a decoration, it's a declaration. It's signifying something. But yet, sometimes in church, we as Jesus followers, we that say we believe the Bible, we live it, we're just a show. And Jesus calls out the show. He's not here to call out the sin, he's here to call out the show. And we need to step back and say, hey, is it just a show in my life? Is this all just fake? Is this, is this not real? Because it needs to be real. We're not going to change the world to make a difference in the world if it's all just a show. Is coming to church on Sunday just a show for us? Is it just something we just kind of dressed up and we just want people to think we're a good person and we just want to, you know, make sure everybody knows, hey, look at this Sunday family picture, you know, look at us going to church. And uh, is that all it is? Or is it deeper than that? Is it more than that? You see, Jesus was calling out these religious leaders because guess what? They were just about a show. And then he goes on and he calls them a stronger word. Notice if you would, verse 25. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisee, hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look righteous, like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. He calls them out. He calls them what? A hypocrite. Today, I want to talk about how do we handle hypocrisy. And it's not that we need to look at it in government. It's not that we need to look at it in our uh, local government. It's not that we need to look at it for those who are scamming people with their money. How about we just handle the hypocrisy in ourselves? Like, let's not look at our neighbor. Let's not look at somebody else. Let's just look within this morning. 
Let's just say, hey, what's the hypocrisy in my life? Because it's the hypocrisy that's in our life that's keeping somebody else out of the life that they need. It's because we refuse to deal with some things. It's because we just want to ignore some things. The, the word hypocrisy comes from the Greek term where they would get their actors from, Hippocrates. And uh, so what they would get this mask and uh, they would wear this mask. And the mask was, you know, the Greek mask. It would be happy or it'd be sad. And that's where they would get the term. So the term means you're wearing a mask. So here's what happens. You see this couple, they're on date night. Man, they're like taking a picture. Look at our couple. We're the best couple in the world. You know, goals and all that. And, uh, uh, but what they're not telling you in the picture is they sleep in different rooms. They're not a really a couple. It's just a picture. It's just for show. It's not real. Oh, there's the guy and talking about, oh, look at me and my big old Bible going to church. And uh, yet Monday through Friday, you're like, oh, nothing in his life backs it up. Just a mask. Just a mask. There's a person that acts like, oh, everything's all good. Everything's great. They put the mask that they're just smiling and all happy. But really, they got a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment in their life. And they're just trying to cover it up. So here's what I want to say. I got very simple points. First of all, drop the mask. If, if you are wearing the mask this morning, you need to drop the mask. You say, what do you mean drop the mask? You see, too often we're obsessed with other sins and we're not owning our own. I remember when uh, God had told my wife and I that we needed to plant a church. Uh, I was traveling around to other churches. I was getting them to partner, kind of like, you know, raising capital, getting some investments. And so we would go and travel to different churches. And uh, one of the churches that I wanted to travel to, I knew the guy. I knew him. And so I said, hey, let me present our ministry. And why don't you guys support us financially each month? And he was like, hey, let me see your doctrinal statement. Now, a doctrinal statement is not something that everybody may be familiar with. But I went to a, a college and we taught seminary and Bible college. So you would have to write a doctrinal statement. So you would write what you would believe in this huge document. And it's like 40 pages long, you know. And uh, I didn't even get to double space it. I mean, this thing had to be like legit, you know. And I couldn't use like size 18 font. I mean, it's like size 11 font, 42 pages. There's a lot of stuff in this doctrinal statement. So he says, send it to me and I'll see if you're good enough to come to my church. I was like, all right. So I sent it to him. He calls me back. He says, I don't think I'm going to have you come to my church. He said, I don't think you're deep enough. I don't think your theology is strong enough. I just don't think you're very, I think you're kind of shallow. I think all these things about you. And I was kind of hurt. I was like, oh, okay. All right. Well, that's a bummer. Would have been nice. I wish my doctoral statement met your standards, but that's okay. I'm watching the news. Not even a month later, a couple weeks later, this guy pops up on the news. He's popping up on the news because he would at night drug his wife and drug his daughter so he could go sleep with other people in the town and in his church. So there's the dude who's saying, my theology's not deep enough, but yet he's okay with drugging his wife so he could go cheat on her. Come on. He was obsessed with other people's sins without owning his own. And here's what I know about the church. We are really good at pointing out other people's sins because we just don't want to deal with what the junk is in our heart. So we can see it a mile away. We can see it in our own spouse. Oh, he's not doing this. She's not doing this. And we don't, we don't even deal with what's in here. Because why? We're so busy finger pointing at other people. Oh, you, you'll come to church. You'll be like, oh, I can't believe he's coming to church. I follow him on Snapchat. If the pastor knew what he posts on Snapchat, oh, the pastor would not let him in this church. Uh-uh. Oh, and he's an usher? Oh, my goodness. I can't believe they let, oh, they let her on the worship team? If they only knew what she worshiped to during the week, they would, they'd, oh, it'd all be bad. And we're really good at doing that, aren't we? You, what's that really about? 
about us and our insecurities because we feel bigger when we make other people smaller. Isn't that sad? Isn't it sad that now we don't just do it with other people that are called Christians, we do it with people that aren't even Christians. We'll see somebody who come into church for the very first time and they may not dress in a way that we think is appropriate, but guess what? At least they're here at church, so who cares how they're dressed? At least they made it and all of a sudden we'll judge somebody, make them feel uncomfortable based on their clothing. Is that how shallow we are? Or you'll be around somebody and all of a sudden they may say some words that you necessarily wouldn't say and all of a sudden you want to treat them differently? Hey, that person needs Jesus more than they need you to wash their mouth out with soap. You're like, mm, if I just had some ivory soap, I would just clean that mouth out. Man, why? Because us Christians, we can be so harsh. We can be so judgmental. And you know what we're doing? Because there's people outside the church, they look at us and they're like, a bunch of hypocrites. Come on, I mean, Christians make the news all the time for their scandals. All the time. And one day I just was kind of like, when is it going to stop? And it's never going to stop. And it's not so much that the world's mad that we have issues like they have issues. What they're mad about is we act like we don't have issues. And if we would just own the issues, it wouldn't be a problem. But we like to hide the issues. So it's time we drop the mask. Touch a neighbor and say, drop the mask. Drop the mask. Drop the mask. Drop the mask. You need somebody around you that tells you, hey, you're wearing a mask today. Be you. Be you. Be who that authentic person that you're supposed to be. You see, Jesus isn't calling out the sin. He's calling out the show this morning. Notice this, but if we're going to do that, we've got to address the mess. I know why sometimes we don't want to drop the mask, because then that means we've got to admit that there's some junk going on. My wife and I, we got to get away for our 10-year anniversary. We went to Kauai, and uh, I am not a morning person, nor am I an evening person. If I can sleep in and go to bed early, I'm a happy man. I love sleep. If I can sleep, it's great. I love to sleep. And we were on our uh, 10 year anniversary. So I was figuring there's no kids, just me and the wife. I'm going to sleep. No, she wants to go hiking. And I'm fine with hiking as long as it's like two in the afternoon. She wants to go and watch the sunrise. I was like, babe, can the sun rise a little bit later? I mean, this is a little bit early to be hiking. She's like, no, no, no. We got to go climb this mountain. Oh, we're going to climb a mountain and watch the sunrise. Not only am I hiking, I'm climbing a mountain to see it. I can do Google Earth. I can click on Discovery Channel. And it's awesome, babe. It's great. And I can be sipping coffee in bed and watch the sunrise. I mean, come on. It's not that hard. She's like, no, no, we're going to hike. And so I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. You're going to wake me up. And uh, she wakes me up. We climb in. We go to the Jeep. And she's like, there's a bunch of different trails. And we're going we're gonna to climb. And it's called the, uh, like the Sleeping Giants, what it's called. Big old thing. If you've been to Kauai, you can climb the Sleeping Giant. So we're going to climb. And we get there. And she said, there's two paths to take. She says, there's the hard path and the easy path. And we pull up. I'm just following where she says. And I'm like, all right, cool. Which path is this? She's like, the hard path. And I was like, oh, great. Man, not only am I up early, but now I got a hike and it's the hard path. Really? Okay. All right, let's do this. So we get out and there's nobody else. It's five in the morning. There's just nobody else. And we're walking through the jungle. Okay. And you start hearing stuff in the jungle. And all of a sudden she's like, is that a bear? Is that a tiger? I was like, it's an island, babe. It's an island. So unless somebody brought it, let it loose. It's not. Like, we're good. We're good. And so we're walking through, but we didn't have a flashlight. So I'm pulling out my iPhone, praying that my 49% battery is going to hold up however long this hike might be. Because she didn't tell me that it's going to be pitch black when we're going in the morning. So I got my little flashlight, and we're 
stomping around in the jungle. And so we're taking the path and all of a sudden it's switching back and forth going up this little mountain. And uh, we take one path and I was like, this feels weird. It feels like we're going back because I was figuring that maybe the other easier path connected. So I was like, oh, I think we made the wrong turn. And it's pitch black. We can't see anything. So I was like, let's turn back and let's go the other way. So we start going the other way, but it's not as much of a worn path as the other one. It's kind of overgrown. And then what turns into a walking path kind of turns into a hiking path. I mean, we're starting to step over rocks and stuff. And then we went from stepping over rocks where we, we had like walking sticks with us. We had to let those go because now we're like climbing rocks. And I was like, babe, I don't know about you, but I, I don't remember was having to climb. Like you said, this was a nice little, little path. She was like, I know. She was like, the blog I was reading, a mom brought her baby in a Bjorn up this. And she's like, that's a hardcore mom. And so that made Jane nervous. It motivated me. I'm like a dude. I'm like, okay, if a mom did this with a baby, I'm not quitting now, you know? So I'm just climbing and we're just going for it. And then about halfway through, you know, where, where you look down and you're like, I I don't know if we can go forward and I don't know if we can go back. So we're kind of stuck. And I was like, babe, we got to go back. And just as we're about to go back, we hear something, something coming up behind us. And we start seeing lights flash. There's four college dudes that stupidly followed us. So they're following behind us. And I was like, oh man, now my ego's in play. I can't go back. I was like, I got four college guys. I got to show up. This 35 year old man's going to show up those 18 year olds, you know? It's like, what up young blood, you know? And I'm going to go for it. And so we're just climbing and we're climbing to the top. And then my wife says, is this the right way? And they were like, we don't know. We're just following you guys. And I was like, yeah, it's the right way then. And I was like, we're going to the top. We're headed to the top. You know, as long as we don't fall, we're good. So we hike to the top. We see the sunrise. We get our selfie. We put our hashtag blast. I put my prayer hands. It's awesome. You know, and we start coming back down on the way down. It's a lot lighter on the way down. We see right where we made that turn to go up and start climbing. We see a little red arrow. And it said, do not go this way. <laughs> we totally missed that in the dark. Here's what's so funny. I had to own that the rest of the trip. She was like, I was following you. And I was like, I couldn't see the daggum arrow is dark. And the whole time she's like, you need to own up to it. You were just going the wrong way. You had too much ego, too much pride to turn back. I was like, that's exactly right. Every guy would, but we need to address the mess. And sometimes it's not easy, and that's a silly story, but sometimes we'd rather just keep on going instead of addressing the mess. But Jesus calls them out, and Jesus says, hey, guess what? You need to deal with this hypocrisy. You see, what we're afraid of is we're afraid of getting caught, aren't we? We're afraid of owning up to the mess. But here's what's so wonderful. You see, when we come to the point where we finally say, guess what? I'm not going to hide it no longer. We don't have anything to be afraid of. You see, you don't have to be afraid if you never look at something bad on your browser. Oh man, will they find it? You don't ever have to be afraid if that person sends you a text you don't want your spouse to see and always be like, oh, did I delete that text when she or he grabs your phone? If you never do, you don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to be afraid of it when uh, she calls you out and says, hey, you came home late and uh, you said you were with your friends, but I'm looking at all of their social media and guess what? They all hanging out with their wives. Who was you hanging out with? And it's like the Keaton Peel episode where he's like pouring down sweat on his face, you know, and you're just kind of like, oh my goodness, it's over. She caught me. And we start looking over our shoulder. And if we were just honest, we don't have anything to be afraid of. Nothing to hide. Because we're just being honest. And Jesus is just saying, hey, will you address the mess? And maybe this morning you're saying, hey, bro, come on, lighten up. 
I didn't sell my soul out to the devil. No, you didn't sell your soul to the devil, but you certainly rented it to him. You may not have sold out, but you don't mind renting it to him every once in a while. I was on the plane. We were going to San Diego and the guy sitting next to me, he was all excited and he was just talking it up. And I don't know if I just give off a wrong vibe or something, but he was just telling me, he's like, yeah, once a year, all of our wives give us a hall pass. And he just started going off on, and, and you don't have to let your imagination go wild, but it's me and him just sitting on the plane. And he was like, yeah, it's just 10 of us. We all got a hall pass. And he was just going off on what they were going to do. And he just went down this list of all this stuff that I was just like, you know, I wanted to get in holy water. I wanted to like dump it on me, dump it on him, you know, and all that. You know what I'm saying? And then he looks over and he's like, so what do you do for a living? It's like, I'm a pastor, man. And he just like got white. It was just like, oh, I just confess all this stuff. He got so religious so fast. He was like, oh man, he starts coming up. I can't wait to go to church. I was like, I bet you do. I think you need to go this weekend. Like, I think you need to go right now. Like, uh, you need to repent. Uh, so, and it's just so funny. Because why? He was talking about all this guilty stuff. And all of a sudden, before he'd even done it all, his conscience was already convicting him. And some of us, we've done stuff after the fact. And our conscience is just grilling us. And my point in this message is not to leave you there. Not here to leave you with the guilt, with maybe even the shame of something you've done. Maybe you have addressed it, but maybe there's still some guilt there. Here's the best part. You see, Jesus didn't come just to help us drop the mask and address the mask. But he also came to help us to move on from the mistakes. There's a guy by the name of David in the Bible. David was a good king. He's a good guy. 17 years of age, he kills Goliath, the giant. His life changes, takes off from there. He's a king, he's established. His kingdom's going well. All of his armies are out to fight. He stays behind and he has an affair. The woman he has an affair with, she gets pregnant. She tells David and David now is worried. He's got to cover it up. So what does he do? He calls her husband home from the front lines. He tries to get him to sleep with her so he'll think it's his baby. He won't do it. So David even gets the guy drunk to see if he'll do it. The guy is drunk and he still has more integrity than David because he sleeps right by David's door. Says, I'm not gonna go home. Not where my men are on the battlefield. So David realizing that he can't get this guy to compromise, he can't get this guy to be a hypocrite. So you know what he does? This is how cold David is. He writes a letter to this guy's general saying, put this guy on the front lines. And then when the battle's really intense, withdraw all the armies, but don't withdraw him. So he'll get killed. Then he seals it with the king's seal and he hands the guy the note saying, hey, this is how you're gonna die. And that guy as a good soldier carries it to his commanding officer, hands it to his commanding officer. His commanding officer reads it in front of him, just looking at him, can't believe what David's doing. That's David. That's David, a messed up dude, right? David writes a song. It's called Song 51. He said, God, I messed up. He said, God, I'm undone. I can't believe I've messed up that bad. And then he says something so interesting. In verse number 12, he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Many times we've quoted that verse. 
But we say it like this, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's not my salvation, it's his. See, Jesus died for you. He died because he loves you. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just point out the hypocrisy. He wants you to drop the mask. He wants you to dress the mask, but then he wants you to move on from that mistake. How does he do it? By love. His love covers it. He covered it. There's another couple, two sisters, they have a brother. His name is Lazarus. He's very sick. He's about to die. And so these sisters are going to write a letter to Jesus, but Jesus is at the height of his ministry. He's famous. Everybody wants Jesus' attention. So they don't know what to write to Jesus. It's very important what they're about to say because their brother's life hangs in the balance of whatever they put in this letter. So what they decide to write in this letter matters. And so they couldn't just write, dear Jesus, how's it going? How are the miracles? Healed anybody recently? Hope you're doing well. Sincerely, Mary and Martha. P.S. Lazarus is sick. If you get a chance, come on by. That's not their letter. This is their letter. Jesus, the one that you love is sick and is about to die. You need to save him. What's so interesting to me about that is they knew what motivated Jesus. Jesus is not motivated by our contrite heart. He's not motivated by our guilt. He's not motivated by our shame. So sometimes you and I, we will shame ourselves. We will guilt ourselves. We will make ourselves feel really bad and really shameful. That's not what motivates Jesus. You see, it's not your salvation. It's his salvation. So it's not thing you did. You say, what motivates Jesus? What motivates Jesus is what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves you. That's what motivates Jesus. And so when you understand that he loves you, that's what motivates him. So when you say, Jesus, I messed up. Jesus, the one that you love has sinned and messed up. Jesus says, I'll help you. You see, here's the thing. Jesus was not mad at the sin. He was mad that they were hiding it. Jesus isn't upset at your sin. He wants you to just stop pretending, to drop the show, to just come clean and be honest with him. Because Jesus is motivated by what he loves and he loves you. And he wants you to say, you know what? I need to deal with some things. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear.